Hi, listeners. Hi. Welcome back to another episode of My Sister Made Me View It, starring me and my sister, whom I'm making view, Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. Whew. Uh, I should be picking up all of the cardboard boxes in my room from my many packages. I should be working on my book because it is due in three weeks. Oh! But instead... <laughs> instead... <laughs> we're making a podcast. We're making a podcast! Emily, your book's due in three weeks! It's due in three weeks! I can do it. I can do it. I can totally do it. Are I... you are you turning over your Regency romance to your writer's group this round? Yes, yes. So the ending is planned out but not written and I've got to just do some scenes in the middle and then like make sure everything like ties together because like my cheat codes for a book when I write a book is I write and then I'm just like oh all this stuff needs to happen but I'm not in the mood to write this particular scene at the moment I'm really ready to write the next scene so I'll put like a bracket and in bold of just like this happens here and so and so has to talk to this person and make sure you foreshadow this and then I'll bracket it and move on well eventually you have to go back and write the brackets so that's kind of where I am right now is bracket <laughs> yeah, writing. It's, it's almost like a, a delay cheat and not a help. Like, no, no, it's it's helpful. But yeah, you, you do have to write the brackets. Yes, yes. No getting out of that. So I had the funniest interaction at work. I was I was talking with someone. We were getting some notes and I was asking one of our writer's assistants to conform the script. And uh, I was like, oh, if you want to format it like such and such probably this menu this option this option this option and she was like how do you how'd you just know that and i'm like oh i i write a lot and she goes oh, do you write fan fiction <laughs> and i was like do you know what not exactly <laughs> I, and i was like no no, no I, I mainly write original stuff but emily mm-hmm. emily megan emily megan I've got a fan fiction brewing right now. <gasps> is it Our Flag Means Death? No. Is it the Stormlight Archive you and I are going to co-write? No. <laughs> what is it? It's Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Yes! Don't tell um, me though. I don't want there... any spoilers. <laughs> I know. I know. So so I'll go very I'll go very light. Mm -hmm. There's a boss you fight early on in the game. The one that took you nine hours. And and it took me nine hours. And during this whole fight, I'm like, wouldn't it be great if instead of trying to kill each other, that they <laughs> fell in love instead? <laughs> so. That's really uh, sweet. I've got, you know, a, I'm pretty sure I know how it would start. And I'm coming up with a couple other scenes. And, and it's, <laughs> I was playing a bit last night. And a, a scene happened that was very, very good in the game. And then in my head, I'm like, oh, well, this doesn't go inside of my fan fiction at all. <laughs> this isn't canon. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to I'm gonna try and finish the game first. Just, you know, learn everything about this character that I can. Mm -hmm. And then maybe rewrite it. All right. Uh, I'm excited also, to read it. Yeah, our friend Jane sent me a fan fiction. Was it the uh, Persuasions on Ice? The ice skating no. Jane Austen? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. 
What was it? It was. It was a retelling of Harry Potter's fifth year. Okay. But Ichigo from Bleach was assigned to be his bodyguard. <gasps> How does and that Jane work? Is like so I don't. <laughs> yeah, she's like I don't know anything about Bleach, but I think you would love this. And she was right. I you loved, loved it. it, and it was so funny because he's said okay. Quick summary. Harry Potter's about a magic school. Bleach is about a teenage kid who can see ghosts and ends up becoming a substitute Grim Reaper or Soul Reaper as it's in there. Mm -hmm. And basically Ichigo gets sent to Hogwarts because um, Tom Riddle was supposed to die. And it's, it's a soul society matter that he split up his soul so many times. Right. Makes sense. So Ichigo's like, he knows how to speak English. He studied it in school. And he's got a, like, an information packet that he has to memorize before he gets to Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. And um, there's that scene at the beginning of Harry Potter 5 where Seamus is, like, going on and on about Harry being like, you're, you know, Voldemort's not back. You're so stupid. And Ichigo goes, oh, Voldemort, the, the split soul guy. And everyone looks at him and they're like, the what? <laughs> and he's like, oh, maybe... <laughs> Maybe that wasn't common knowledge. <laughs> but it was really funny because during the defense against the dark, like the Dumbledore's army stuff, mm -hmm. uh, Ichigo teaches the kids how to physically fight while yeah. Harry's teaching them how to magically fight. Anyway, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was very fun. And the the Harry Potter characters I felt were off, but all the Bleach characters were very on character, <laughs> which was which was a lot of fun for me. Jane, so there you go. That's, Jane and Dilly send the best fanfics. Uh, the one that Jane just sent me was a retelling of Persuasion because we just watched it. And I guess I haven't read it yet, but uh, they're figure skaters and all this stuff happens, you know, before the fic happens. They're figure skaters. She wants to go into the Olympics. He gets called over to do hockey and they have a fight and go their separate ways and then meet together, you know, eight years later or whenever just like in Jane Austen's Persuasions, and I'm really excited to read it. Aww. Um, that sounds awesome. Thank Dang you, Jane, awesome. for those fanfiction recommendations. Thank you, Jane. Uh, but we're talking published. We're talking traditionally published works today. We're yes, talking we Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. Which, as soon as we, we read... finish, wait, wait, wait. As soon as we finish Oathbringer, and. Rhythm of War, then I can finally jump into Stormlight Archives fan fiction, which I am absolutely dying to get my hands on. I'll send you some good Cal Moash stuff. <laughs> no, I will not. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. I actually haven't read a lot of fanfic for this. I've I've seen a bunch of fan... I'm way more into, like, fan art for this series than I am for fan fiction. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Like, sometimes I'll get into a thing where I'm like... I only want to see pictures of this. Yeah. Or I only want to read of this. Oh, I found some really good Magnus ones lately, though, that are just... I sent you one. I sent You've you one. Been... And you said it was the best fan fiction you'd ever read. It was. But I was going to say, with all those pictures, I was about to say, that reminds me, you've been posting them all in our Discord. And by this yeah. point, our Patreon is up. And if you want to yeah. get into the Discord to see the Magnus Archive fan art that Meg posts, we talk about, you know... <laughs> Roswell, Stormlight Archives, all the stuff we do. It's first tier, $3. You can get into our Discord and just come and chat and hang out with us. 
Oh, dear. What was so that? we're not covering the Magnus Archives, but no. we're having a group listen along in the Discord. Mm-hmm. We just finished listening to season one. Um, and so, like, every week I'll post, hey, everybody, listen to these episodes this week, usually between 10 and 15 episodes over the course of the week. And then at the end of the week, I will post trivia, behind-the-scenes information, and, like, connect to the dots for uh, stuff inside the episodes themselves. And then at the end of each season, I upload all of my favorite fanfics, <laughs> I, fan arts that I've seen. Uh, oh, my gosh, Emily, I'm so glad you brought up the Magnus Archives. Oh, Yeah. They are running, uh, Rusty Quill, along with Monty Cook Games, is running a Kickstarter right now. Okay. It's not a Kickstarter. It's through Backer Kit. They're running a fundraising campaign right now for the Magnus Archives role-playing game. And it went up yesterday, and their goal was $100,000. Mm-hmm. Would you like to guess where they are today? 263000 that is such a good guess. Okay. It's a million. <gasps> Are you serious? <laughs> they hit a million dollars in a day. They fully funded in like 32 minutes. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I funded it at the, listen, I wasn't going to fund it at the highest level, but then if you did fund it at the highest level, you get a physical copy of the picture book, A Guest for Mr. Spider. Oh, and no! a bunch of stickers that say property of Jürgen Leitner oh, from the library of Jürgen Leitner. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'm going to buy this and I'm going to make... Uh, I'm going to make you and several of our other um, honorable siblings, our co-hosts, play it. And so maybe we'll maybe we'll do a, a Magnus Archives playthrough for our Discord listeners and Patreon patrons. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. If we recorded it, if we recorded it, I would make us post it free for all the world to see. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, my gosh. Are Johnny and Alex just dying over this? Probably. I mean, it's been a very eventful 24 24 hours hours for them. (laughs) They hit their, I mean, they hit their first goal immediately. They posted, okay, well, here's a stretch goal. And then they smashed that immediately. And then they're like, great, here's another stretch goal. And it's like, bam, gone. So the the current (laughs) stretch goal they've posted right now is at 1,200,000. And it's going to be upgraded artwork and art plates for uh, all the levels. Wow. Yeah. And because I backed in the first 48 hours, I'm getting a physical cassette tape. <laughs> uh, that's like training a, a, a Magnus Institute training tape or something. Oh. And now I'm like, these, these creators are going to single-handedly revive the tape recording industry because now all of us are going to have to buy tape recorders to play our new cassette tape. That's incredible. Mm. They deserve this. Good job them. That's, that's very impressive. Mm -hmm. All right. Enough about Magnus. Enough about fan fiction. Let's talk about the Ariel's class I went to this no, morning. I want to talk about <laughs> okay, Oathbringer. Fine. We'll talk. We'll talk about Oathbringer. I'll find a way to artfully work that into the conversation okay. at some point today. But uh, this week we read Chapter Eighteen, Double Vision, Chapter Nineteen, The Subtle Art of Diplomacy, and Chapter Twenty, Cords to Bind. Emily, at first brush, what did you think of these 
chapters. The this Shalon and Dalinar chapters are some of my favorite chapters so far in the whole series. Uh, tell me more. These two chapters, I could not get enough of them. I'm like sitting there physically taking it in and being angry that eventually the pages were going to run out. Like I'm sitting here going, Shalon is a treasure. Why did I ever doubt her? Past Dalinar is incredible. Huh. <laughs> I just, wow, wow. Brandon, and the, the best joke in the whole series is also in these chapters. Is this pattern asking if he can marry Adolin? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you marry him? Is that mm, an option? I, no. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> Oh my oh. goodness. No, it was okay. great. I mean, we'll obviously talk about all of this, but Shalon really like, okay, so here's why I think I liked it so much is because I felt like in book two, not that things came easy to her, but that she didn't fail very often. She did some really crazy things, but she didn't really fail. Like she took on these huge tasks of like leading people and pretending to be a horn eater princess and all of a sudden being swept off her feet by Adolin Colin. And so like, she was just like winning at everything in book two, which I, I did enjoy, but like in this chapter specifically, uh, chapter 18, double vision, we get, I don't know. I feel like we get a little bit more owed the original Shallan where she, you know, hands over an emerald brome for like a fruit stick. And she's just like, Oh, I drink this wine all the time. I'm crying because I've missed it so much, not because I'm overcome with how terrible and strong it is. Like, it was so fun. It was so much fun. Yay! I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad you're having so much fun. What about you? What do you think of Shalon? I know, like, sometimes our, our preferences and our tastes differ when it comes to her specifically. I... I enjoy Shalon's chapters less and less. Okay. <laughs> every time they show up. <laughs> um, but it's mostly because Pattern is one of my favorites. And I feel that Pattern and Shalon aren't a good fit as Radiant and Spren. Like, they don't have the sort of closer bond that Adolin and Syl have. <laughs> Sorry. Kaladin <laughs> and Syl have. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like you mentioned, he's always trying to get her to do this and she's always trying to do another thing. And, um, but I mean, you get that I... with Lyft and, um, her friend. <laughs> it's not true. I like Lyft a lot more after our last reread of Edge Dancer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess I'm just, you know, I, I, I like Shalon investigating the murder and stuff. Um, so much of Shalon's storyline is about how she's over, you know, dealing with and working through all of the really rough stuff. Mm -hmm. Sorry, rephrase. All of the trauma that she's been going <laughs> through over, you know, her entire life. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I can say, I don't like how she deals with her trauma, but it, to me, it's not an interesting story mm -hmm. compared to the bigger overarching. Like, I'm finding what Dalinar is going through in this book much more compelling than what Shallan is going through. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's let's talk about it. 
Let Will you read me the epigraph? Okay. It says, you cannot have a spice described to you, but must taste it for yourself. And that's from Oathbringer Preface. Which, yeah, I mean, makes sense. Like, like so many times we use, like, actual spices to describe something. Oh, it was too salty. Oh, there was too much cumin in it. Oh, and like, you know Im- immediately what it is because you've tasted it. But if someone comes up to you and says, like, I didn't care for all that rosemary, you're going to be like, I okay and you've never I tasted never rosemary thought of cumin <laughs> and so yeah yeah that's that that was my thought about the epigraph it's like you have to experience it for yourself like shallan in this chapter is trying to go out and be veil in like a rougher uh-huh. area but she's just like i i don't know how these people live i don't like she's we find out she's very ignorant of you know, the way wine is prepared. Like, she's only ever lived a higher privileged life. And so trying to fit in and become this mysterious, cool figure without knowing the culture, she can't do it. She's going to yeah. have to, like, live it before she really can become Vale. Like... Vale mm-hmm. so far has been a solitary creature, a solitary spy going and doing kind of like, I say magic tricks, but like, you know, observing, you know, silently, like from shadow to shadow. And now if she's going to go about and like be one of the people, she literally has to go become one of the people and experience it for mm-hmm. herself. Because pretending to be something doesn't make you something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, Shalon, but pretending to be Vale doesn't give you the the life experience that Vale needs to be Vale. But mm-hmm. she goes out to get some. She goes out drinking. So she's got her disguise on mm-hmm. and she is walking around Eurythira. We learn a little bit more about Eurythira where she's like, okay, there were fields here that used to grow stuff. But how it's so like it's so cold that cold spread they're gathering about her feet as she's walking through. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that there was some sort of warming fabrial or like like you know we use we use like lights in like factories to grow plants like they don't get actual mm-hmm. sun. I'm assuming something like that was set up. Yeah. Well. We'll see. We'll see how your theory used to, you know, it's so funny. Every time we go into a character's head, we're down on ours like, it's so weird. They had a giant window here. And mm-hmm. Shalon's like, ugh, it's so, like, strange the way that their, you know, fields and things are set up. That there's, uh, they mention at the end of Words of Radiance when they get here that it will take them months to even explore all of the tower. Yeah. So there's always another secret. I love how large this is and that's such a daunting process for an author to be like because like I feel like my first instinct would to be like stop and let me describe everything about this place so that people know exactly what's going on but I love with it feels like the first book again where we're getting just these little Uh tiny pieces of information um which over time gives us a bigger picture and so it's kind of fun to just be like Oh, like every so often we get another glimpse and it's just, oh, this is even bigger than I thought it was. It's very cool. Good job, Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. Good job. It's it's literal iceberg writing. <laughs> it's literal iceberg writing. So Shalon and Pattern have this really fun conversation, which includes, uh, they're talking about Adolin and Pattern Best is joke like. joke of the book. 
What? Best joke of the book. It's coming up. Yep. Pattern says, I like him. Who? Vale said. The swordsman, Pattern said. Mm, the one you can't mate with yet. <laughs> Can we please stop talking about him that way? Very well, Pattern said. But I like him. You hate his sword. And then I love this bit from Pattern to show like how a spren is viewing the living world. Mm -hmm. But I've come to understand, Pattern said, growing excited. Humans, humans don't care about the dead. You build chairs and doors out of corpses. You eat corpses. You make clothing from the skin of corpses. Corpses are things to you. Well, I guess that's true. I mean, now, technically, in the, in, in the strictest sense, technically true. Mm -hmm. Because she's Vale, mm -hmm. because she's Vale, she doesn't engage with this. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's just like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I guess. When, like, when Pattern's like, humans don't care about the dead. Uh, last book, Shalon was having recurring horrible flashbacks to Red Carpet Once White. Yeah. And now that she's spoken those truths to Pattern, Shalon always has to face and think about those things. But when she's Veil, it appears she does not have to. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you think about Pattern compared to Syl. And Syl's mm -hmm. been out on the battlefield, and she knows yeah. what corpses mean to both the Parshendi and the Alethi. And mm -hmm. I just find it interesting the way Pattern is experiencing the world. Still very childlike, and still... I mean, he and Syl are both childlike, but his... It's, it's like, okay, it's like when we talked about in The Way of Kings, where the way Kaladin, because he's a soldier he notices very specific things about the war camp that Shallan wouldn't. But because Shallan is an artist, she notices things that Kaladin wouldn't notice. And so Pattern, being a cryptic, cryptid, is it cryptic or cryptid? Cryptic. Cryptic is going to experience the world much differently than Syl and Honor Spren does. And I just, I again, makes me angry that it's written so well. That's all. Mm -hmm. And and following following on from that, like, Syl followed Kaladin for a long time before she bonded with him. And Pattern as well. But Kaladin traveled yeah. a lot, both in the army and then when he was enslaved and trying to escape. And then Shallan just grew up in the same house her whole life. So it's like, all Pattern has really seen of the living world is growing up in Shallan's house. Mm -hmm. in, in a privileged, a privileged view. Yeah. So... There's a bit where Vale says, you just like him because he tells Radiant to respect the sword. So, Emily, at this point, when Shallan is disguised, she exclusively refers to herself in her point of view as Vale. Mm -hmm. And now she's mentioning Radiant um, as if Radiant were a completely other person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, talk about that. Okay. It's interesting because we, I I mean, as far as I've just kind of glanced over and looked, but she is Veil. She's completely Veil. Anytime she mentions herself, it is as Veil until she gets the wine and she chokes on it and then she becomes Shallan again. Um, it's like anything that can break her out of it brings her right back to who, quote unquote, she is. And I find this interesting because like at one point she needs to find information and she's like, Shallan wouldn't want to do this, but Vale would. And so she finds this courage to go do this thing as Vale. 
But I'm, but at the same time, this is going to be fascinating to watch. I'm like, Shalon, that's still you doing this. You have this inside of you. And I'm, we know that she disassociates quite easily. And I think she's kind of using it to her own advantage to be able to, you know, maybe do something that she, because she, she, she sells herself short. That's how I see this is that she still sees herself as this timid, quiet girl who has not killed her father yet, who has not been a apprentice uh, to Yasna Kalin, who has not crossed the plains. She does not see herself as she is now. She is stuck for some reason as previous Shalon, the quiet scholar who is expected to live out her life in her father's library and then her husband's library. It's like she doesn't quite understand that she herself is capable of all of this, but to protect herself because she's always had to be the one to protect herself. No one has protected her ever except for Kaladin in the chasms. Um, yeah. Like her brothers did not, could not look her out brothers for her. did not. And her grownups, yeah. her mom tried to kill her and her dad went mm-hmm. off, you know, a horrible, violent road after became, her mother died. Yeah, and became he very dangerous. her either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and so I understand why Shalon would do this because she still sees herself as someone who needs to be protected. She can't physically do this. But if she pretends, which she's very good at, if she pretends to be someone else, then yeah, of course she can do this thing because it's not really her, quote unquote, that's doing it. And I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, she's 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 siphoning off different aspects of her mind and her memories and her personality into these separate systems. Um and we're we're starting to see you know, in, in book two, it really just felt like, oh, Vale was a disguise. Mm-hmm. It was just, oh, yeah, that's that's my in-character name as I'm going undercover. Um, but as we're getting into Oathbringer, it turns out that Vale was kind of the beginning of a new coping mechanism for Shallan as she was working through, uh, as she was <laughs> working through remembering throughout Words of Radiance. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's brought up a new name and a new personality, Brightness Radiant, to help deal with the stress of the expectations of her new roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep keep an eye out for Vale and Radiant and Shalon as we keep going forward. I will. So we're, it's so funny. We've come to this, we've come to this brand new this brand new city, you're Thiru, and it's away from absolutely everything. And the first thing we're doing is reestablishing the social hierarchy and living the way that we've always lived. Mm-hmm. With the kind of like the upper levels and the lower levels that like the class system is maintained in our move to you're Thiru. Mm-hmm. And she is uh, traveling through the merchants area. Um, she's reached a place called the Breakaway, which is a vast collection of tents which sprung up organically, even though Navani wanted to plan I, a very, yeah, I loved that. Or like because Navani's so excited about doing it right, and she she's a very mm-hmm. intelligent woman. She understands things at like many different levels, 
And the fact, of course, she would want to be in charge and she expects to be in charge because she's so high up in the hierarchy of their mm -hmm. leadership. And the idea that like Sabariel is kind of like, okay, um, actually what we need to do is to keep people from getting mad is to let the wine flow freely and we need to let them do this and we'll worry about it later sort of thing. And just, I just love the idea of Navani being like, you're doing it wrong. And everyone's like, this is our <laughs> livelihoods. We know exactly what we're doing. So in the, during the climax of the previous book, uh, Shalon pointed out that enigmas are clues. Mm -hmm. uh, like enigmas are where you should look. And as we're trying to figure out some stuff about Urethiru, I think the water system is an enigma. I was going to bring that up because, I mean, you can, you, sorry, you bring your thing up that you were no, going to no. say. I apologize. Oh, no, I was just going to describe the water system. Um, But real first, because I've just said the word water five times, uh -huh. uh, can I run refill my, my water glass and be right back? Yeah, I'll start talking if you don't mind. Okay, ready, ready go. Ready, go. <laughs> Basically, all I wanted to say is I think this might be Chekhov's water system. And I probably am not using it right, but Megan's not here to tell me that I did it wrong. Um, because they don't know where the water comes from. Shalon is realizing it doesn't rain nearly as often, or there's not nearly enough snow melt to fill up these this reservoir. And but the the water is always full and i'm i'm getting suspicious because we're having so many murders and just here happens to be water no one questions where it comes from and you know no we we don't know we just don't know well that is true but do you know what i get from this what your theory was made for humans because the listeners need the creme in the water Sorry, too silent. No, sorry. I'm <laughs> oh, the city wasn't built because the, it's creme free. Okay, sorry. No, I was I was trying to. I think it's sinister, and you're just like, okay, no, this makes total sense. So no, I get it. I get well, it. sorry. It's 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 something. Okay, I will tell you, I do not know much about the origins of Urethiru. Okay. All the spoiler knowledge I have. Mm -hmm. Now, listeners, I think we should talk about the time I read Rhythm of War. So the book came out in November of, was it 2020 or 2021? I think Basically, it was 2020. It came out during a, okay, it came out during a dark time in which <laughs> I didn't set the record button in my brain to record very hard, let's say. <laughs> Uh, the book came out in November, and I attended the live stream of the, uh, I attended the live stream of the release, and then I didn't read the book for probably another six to eight months, and then I sat down and read it all in one go, and I <laughs> I loved the story, but I haven't cracked it open since. So if there's, <laughs> if there was specific trivia about the origins of your theory in that book. Well, another one of my alters must know it because I do not remember. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I was really excited reading this because I'm like, okay, if this was built for the listeners, there would definitely be creme in the water and access to creme because we know that that's an important part of their diet. Esh and I told us that like, mm, yes, delicious creme. 
So the fact that the water sources here specifically don't have it indicate to me that your theory was designed with humans in mind. Mm -hmm. The rooms and everything so far feel human scaled. However, it is possible that there are other portions of the tower we haven't explored yet that are uh, engineered for listeners. Mm -hmm. But this cistern specifically, this is water for humans. Mm -hmm. And now it's not just for human. <laughs> but yeah, Chekhov's water, we don't know where it came from or how it's clean like this. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in Roshar, a ton of the water naturally has silt in it. Blech. But anyway, so she goes to a tavern and she's like, all right, let's. Let's drink wine. Let's and then show everybody like, what kind. How and she's like, tough crap. Veil is like. Okay. <laughs> so. Here's my here's my experience with wine. My friend Joanna said, "Do you want to smell my wine?" And I'm like, "Eh, sure." Cause you know, movies, TV, it's always like a with a fruity bouquet hints of. And I'm like, I know it's alcohol, and it'll have like an alcohol smell. But my my friend Joanna is like this amazing uh, baker and chef, and so I'm like. <laughs> She wouldn't hand me something that smells bad. <laughs> and so I lean over and I just took a whiff and I went, Bleh! like, that is the noise I made in front of all my other grown up friends. So, Shalon, I'm with you, babe. I do not have a palate or knowledge either. And she wishes Adolin was there because he would know because he's also something of a wine connoisseur. Like, he's a fancy <laughs> man. He, he's got he fashion down. <laughs> yeah and so the thing is also when she she orders the wine she very specifically wants it to be sapphire which we know is one of the like most strong wines and they bring it to her and it's clear and so she starts going like doing kind of like a it felt almost like a bluff sort of like is this water i wanted the strong stuff, you know, and and the I said sapphire, <laughs> and the the barkeep lady is just like, hey, we don't mess around with like the infusions like the light eyes do. Like all of a sudden, not only is Shalon out of her depth, but she's learning about like a sub. I don't know if you'd call it like a subculture, but I mean maybe. Yeah, like she probably, you know. She didn't know you had to put stuff in the wine to make it certain colors. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much we talked about the color-coded wine in the first book, besides saying that, like, oh, Dalinar drinks fruit juice. He drinks Hawaiian but Punch I now. Think, yeah, he drinks Hawaiian Punch now. And I think Shalon was expecting color to equate to flavor, but it turns out... It's strength. Nothing means anything. And this was just <laughs> another, like, yeah... Have you ever ordered food, just like ordered something and it and it ended up being completely nothing like what you expected? Um, I'm going to say no, because I find exactly what I like and I don't deviate from it. I'm not very adventurous. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm like Shalon in these kind of, I can't think of anything specific, but I, I feel like before in my life that I'll order a thing and it comes out and I'm like. Technically, this is what the description said, but it's not what I'm picturing. Your and I'm just like, spare rib. It, don't feel it. <laughs> My one spare rib. So the drink is extremely alcoholic. Um, you know, it's not exactly wine because it's not made from a fruit juice. It's it's from a, a grain. And so Shalon is like, 
like Emily mentioned earlier, I'm just happy to drink this again after so long. And it's like, it's a good thing she went to like a practice bar before she started asking at the, the real tavern. And this is when Shalon stops referring to Vale and Shalon is back. And she's saying to the barkeep, you really drink this dreadful liquid. And the woman says, that's not nearly as bad as they get. And Shalon says, well, get me another. And Vale, Vale pretends to have always drunk this. And Vale is very familiar with this. So when Shalon says, you, I feel like that's that's more of her distancing Shalon from Vale. That Vale is one of, listen, I might be reading too hard into this. But like, this is, this is really the first chapter Oh, Emily says that she doesn't think so. Listeners, she's away from her microphone, but she really said it. I promise. This is like the first chapter where it's so, so apparent the divide between Shalon and Vale. But Vale comes back as she, as Shalon starts learning more about alcohol and treading into familiar territory, Vale comes back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and someone comes along. Well, the... Bar- so the barkeep actually, she asks if Shalon slash Vale is a house servant and if this is like her first time out alone. Like, it's very apparent. Like, Shalon slash Vale, they've failed at this fitting in thing because the way that she's reacting to the wine and the things that they have to explain to her that should be very obvious to her are not obvious. Anyway, someone comes up and like, starts making you know friendly remarks and starts talking and Shalon is just like oh he's flirting with me no am I not more than a pretty face she she's like she didn't want Vale to be someone people would flirt with (laughs) which I just think is so cute on Shalon's behalf um not only that but she's like ugh, this guy Adolin could even crack his knuckles louder than this guy (laughs) But this is where she realizes that she's not going to be able to imitate these people because until she's lived it, um, you know, and and um, she just keeps drinking this stuff because she's told the barkeep, I like it. Keep bringing me another cup like she's just downing this and she um is trying to at the same time she is getting quite intoxicated at the same time she's trying to pump this dude for information about murders and things like that and he just thinks she's drunk and he's like let me get you a palanquin like like he's honorable he's this honorable dude i hope we see him again because i like him his name's jor uh hey guess what what jor is a cameo (gasps) of who Oops. Jory is a cameo for Jory Phillips, who is one of the Stormlight Archives beta readers. Oh, I love um, that. So there you go. And 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 his, so Brandon has his writing group, but then he has a group of, and and his writing group are like his alpha readers, but then he has like his beta readers. Mm-hmm. I've met one of them, and now we're friends. So shout out again to Donald Mustard the Third. Uh, but yeah, Jor is named for Jory, who is one of the series readers. Love that. I love this. This is so fun. Um uh but she's but she's uh she's wanting to go find out more information. She slips and falls because she's so intoxicated 
and by accident and like on reflex pulls in Stormlight and realizes she's not drunk anymore. <laughs> and she's like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be so handy. Burns up the alcohol hole. <laughs> and Pattern's just like, oh, it healed you of the poison. And I'm like, technically, yes. She did it. She's no longer poisoned, and now, as long as she has money, she can go to any other bar and doing things. So, this following conversation with Pattern, Shalon and Vale swap places throughout the conversation mm -hmm. when Shalon is coming up against something difficult. Yes. And she can't, she doesn't. She's realizing she doesn't quite know what's real and what's not, which one of her memories are real mm -hmm. and which aren't, which this problem makes total sense for her to have. But she asks Pattern, did I kill my brothers? Are they still alive? And Pattern's like, hey, yeah, they're cool, um, but you sound like you're not. Hogwarts is fictional. Do you know this? It's important <laughs> to me that you know this. So... Uh, and, okay, Emily, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. So, in Words of Radiance, if Shalon and Pattern were having this sort of conversation, mm -hmm. we see Shalon go dot, 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 and she just disassociates and leaves the conversation. Yes. Um, but now we see that Vale can now step in. So the audience can Ooh. hear more of these difficult conversations, which I really appreciate that, like, um, after he revealed to us that Shalon hides a lot of stuff, I'm glad Brandon brought in a way for us to keep engaging with the story so, like, we don't miss um, what our unreliable narrator is hearing. That's true. I hadn't thought about it that like like that, but that makes that makes a lot more sense of... Not that it would get boring of dot, 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 but it, for me, reading Words of Radiance, it made it seem like Shalon was semi-stable. Like, that wasn't great that she dissociated like that, but it, she was semi-stable. But now, like, stepping in and hearing, like, her doubts um, and concerns about her own self of, like, she should know whether or not she killed her brothers. See, like, and I don't think Shalon was stable in the last book. I think she was able to hide it. But like she's mentioned, once she told the truth to Pattern, she can't, she can't leave the way she had before. And so she needs a, a coping, like she needs a way to cope with the horrible trauma because she mm -hmm. can't face it at this juncture. Yeah. So I don't think... Uh, the words of Radiance Shalon and, and Way of King Shalon was more stable. I think she was just papering everything over much, much harder. And she's finding that more difficult to do. Yeah, she's definitely putting on a front. And I think her bringing out these different personalities, um, rather than just like keeping them all locked away, I think her letting these different pieces of her out are letting more and more of her doubts out and... Like, the stability that she had when she kept it all in, that control mm -hmm. is kind of flaking away. And I'm a little worried yeah. for her. It's, it's, it's like she's had to create vents to let this emotion off because she's, she's not able to 
engage with process and move beyond the emotions. Like that's a thing with PTSD is not just like, oh, I have bad memories. It's, it's PTSD specifically is when your brain and your body are like, no, the bad thing is happening to you right now. It is mm-hmm. still happening to you and you are in that dangerous situation again. Mm-hmm. And um, like there, there are two ways that you can handle this. You can like learn to – sorry. I'm like, I, a professional. There are two <laughs> specific ways to handle this. What, what I'm saying is Shalon has handled this two different ways uh, so far. And in the first couple books, it's that she's just – when her brain is like, the horrible thing is still happening to you. She's like, nothing's happening to me. Mm-hmm. Nope. And now it's like, when her brain is like, hey, horrible thing is happening. She's like, it's happening to somebody else. Not me. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, she has figured out, she's got her sea legs, as it were, and she goes to another bar. Um, and she's asking around for information. Um, and I... I, I kind of want to keep moving through <laughs> these conversations. Uh, like, I've, I've had a lot of fun talking about Shalon. I do want to get to Dalinar in a reasonable time frame. So, mm-hmm. Emily, can you summarize uh, what Vale learns as she's investigating the murder? Yes. So, Vale has come and is saying, hey, I want to I, – I need to know about this murder that happened because I think the person who did this murder – also murdered my sister like she makes up this whole backstory in like the blink of an eye and she finds out that the person who who committed this murder actually killed his wife um strangled his wife so it it wasn't stabbing through the eye or anything like that because that's like the she's looking for what she calls a weird murder and she's like yeah someone getting stabbed through the eye because it's happened twice the murder's gonna keep murdering in the same way so that's the sort of thing she's looking for except the weird thing about this one is after the guy killed his wife strangled her like left a specific mark around her neck he killed another woman the exact same way and uh there's kind of a group of people because you don't everyone's a little weary that Vale is with the official police and uh-huh. I think their reasoning is if we can police our area, then the official police won't have reason to come here and we can do what we want to do sort of a thing. Um, and so as she's like asking and interrogating and trying to find this out and bluffing and bullying her way as Vale by like, someone's just Tell like. Me about the stabbing. Oh my gosh. She's sitting in someone's chair. She sat down and they're like, that's so-and-so's chair. And she's like, I don't see him here. And I'm just here for information. And he, the dude comes back and like throws her out. And she goes like full nuts on him. Like that quiet crazy of just like walks over to him and stabs her hand. She stabs through her hand and into his. Like, Shalon slash Vale. <laughs> what are you even trying to prove? You could have just you could have just stabbed him, but I think like her also stabbing herself, like she all of a sudden has a reputation instantly of being yeah crazy. This you was don't... not subtle. 
no, you don't mess with this veil character. You give her what she wants because not only is she crazy, she also works with the ghost bloods because she etches. She's just, you know, she's like, she just, she's out in the yeah. open. <laughs> but they, I mean, like, okay, we haven't seen our ghost blood buddies this, this, this book so far. But she knows they're but, around. Uh, At least she, she yeah, thinks Emily, they're around. How do you think? I mean, because she is a ghost blood. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know where she's got her tattoo, but she is a ghost blood. Has she decided? How do you think they will well, react? Okay, listen. She was sorry. I sorry. In the end of the last book, Marie's is like, "Congratulations, you're ghost blood. Get a tattoo." But has she yet, though? But has she yet? I don't know. Maybe Vale got the tattoo and we didn't see the scene. <laughs> um, but Emily, how do you think the ghost bloods will feel about her just flashing their secret symbol? Not good. Like, well. Yeah, I say not good, but Shalon kind of throws this out. She's like, she puts this this triangle pattern on the table in the hopes that the woman will know what it is. And she's like, okay, yes, the ghost bloods are a secret society, but they also tattoo their symbol on their body. So is it a secret or is it not a secret? And she takes a gamble that people at least know what it is. And I don't think they're going uh-huh. to be too pleased with this. Well. We'll find out, but Vale has definitely left her mark, and she's found out uh, a guy did two murders, but as they were dragging him away, he swore and swore and swore he did not do the second murder. Okay, so, so what I think, my, my think has changed, because I assumed all the murders were going to be stabbed through the eye, um, uh-huh. because I fell into the classic blunder um, of... Grabbing onto a theory and not letting it go. I think whatever. Uh, which which she was warned of in her own scientific <laughs> books that she still did it. And so what I think is going on is whenever there's like a murder of passion or I mean a murder. I'm just going to say a murder. I don't want to quantify it. Uh, there's something that like. What makes you think it was murder? <laughs> but something comes along and like imitates it. So if someone were to die by. I'm trying to think of like someone drowns someone in a in a vat of you know wine then the very next murder is going to be drowning in a vat of wine that there will be a copy of every murder and i don't know what it is i still think it's ghosts okay okay um does the if if it is a ghost does the ghost possess the murderer and make them repeat it or is the ghost killing on their own? Has Adolin killed a second person without realizing? I hope not. That would be horrible. Waking up and realizing like Winter Soldier style that you've done a murder and that's not like, yeah, I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. Which uh, we'll talk about it when we get into Delinar's chapter. But Meg, you and I had a discussion on whether or not what Adolin did was the Alethi way or not. Um, they talk about assassination and how, like, the different ways of killing and what's the Alethi way and what's not. And I'm excited to get into that with you. I think murder's fine, actually. <laughs> oh, we've changed our kidding. stance, have we? <laughs> no, I was kidding. <laughs> Listeners, legally, that was a joke. Murder's <laughs> not okay. All right, let's move on to chapter 19, The Subtle Art of Diplomacy. All right. Uh, since this is a flashback, there is no epigraph. So, Emily, tell me about Wait. what happened 31 years ago. 
go. I want to. I want to throw out one thing. In that, okay, Vale asks for something even stronger, which also I think goes a long way in cementing her crazy reputation. In that she asks for horn eater wine, or horn eater alcohol. Which literally should strip paint off the wood, and she just uses stormlight to heal herself. Like she should not have been able to ingest this, okay. and people are like, okay. "Oh my gosh, <laughs> I want her and Rock in- to have a drink off." <laughs> okay, so that's the thing. In the first book, we learned about Horneater White, so we, the audience, already know about Horneater White and what it can do. Mm-hmm. And now in the second book, when because we've got that pre-established knowledge when Shalon is like horn eater white we're like yeah baby <laughs> where is it in the first book <sighs> uh when they go out drinking Kaladin oh maybe it's in the second book what book are we in now three we're in the third book. um okay so it must be when they go out drinking a book too I'm so sorry this was words of radiance this is words of radiance where they're trying to pick a tavern to go to mm-hmm. and when they go there rock is like do you have horn eater white and the lady's like it melts the cups oh that's no right. <laughs> do we know that if she does like she has red hair so yes there's... not as veil oh yes yes, yes. i'm saying Shalon potentially potentially has horn eater blood and i just find that hilarious that she pretended to be a horn eater princess and she drinks their alcohol like it's yeah. nothing. She got her red hair from her mom's side of the family. Mm-hmm. I know we didn't really talk about that, but her dad's a brunette and her mom had red hair. Yeah. 19. So, Chapter 19. Tell 31 me what years happened ago. 30, tell me what – tell me. Tell me. Tell me what happened. Delinar is Tell me what happened. I want I you to tell me. Love him. Tell me. Tell me. So much. So they're sitting at a feast. Here's the brief overview of the chapter. They're sitting at a feast trying to make an alliance with um, a Westerner. They just keep calling him a Westerner, and he's blonde, and his name is Tor, I want to say. Oh, Toe, T-O-H. Um, and Gavilar is sitting there, like, trying to, like, be all diplomatic, and so is Sadius. And Dalinar is sitting at the table sulking because he he's no good at this part and he just wants to fight and he can't find his knife and so he's like i lent it to so and so like he wants to eat the food in front of him but he can't do it without his knife and he doesn't have it on him and so he goes outside and it's raining it just happens to be raining and he goes out to the barracks and like throws the door open and like goes and finds taleb and is is taleb the archer that he rescued slash conscripted into service uh, or is Taleb just like I thought listen I I recognize the name Taleb I'm making sure it is I don't think it's the archer that's what I'm wondering um, but I I think it's someone that we've met previously in the books so he was a he's an officer and a shard bearer um we saw him in the very first book, he's the one who reported the Chasm Fiend attack. And he wants to, to go out Dalinar. and fight all the time, but Dalinar doesn't go out fighting anymore. Is that him? N- no. Um, unfortunately, he is the guy who died at the end of the last book. Okay. Okay. Anyway. 
He goes to this guy. So yes, sorry. He he was not the archer. He's not the he archer. He was okay. someone in Dalinar. Oh, maybe he was the archer. I don't think he was the archer. But he was uh, one of Dalinar's trusted officers, mm-hmm. and he was the old blood shard bearer, and he, uh, yeah, he died at the end of book two. Yeah. Okay. I was looking to see if they named him, but anyways. Um, so he just goes out in the storm, and it's just raining, like, and he, he throws open the door, and everyone looks so freaked out about it. And he's like, do you have my knife? And the guy's like, no, I gave it back to you. Remember, you used to do this. He's like, ugh. And he slams the door shut. And he comes back in. And he's just like dripping water. Like he's just drenched. And we come to find out it's a high storm. And it not only freaks out the people in the barrack, it freaks out Toe. This this dude just goes, this, this, this dude just goes wandering through high storms and thinks nothing of it. And Delinar is just truly like, it's a storm. What? Why are you guys so freaked out about this? And he's still mad that he doesn't have his knife. And he's just trying to cut stuff with the knife. And it bends. And it just isn't working. And he's so preoccupied with knives that he notices a knife being held behind someone's back who turns out to be an assassin who comes to attack Gavilar and Dalinar takes him out, I think with the guy's own knife, then washes the knife off in the wine and sits down to eat his food with the knife that he just used to murder somebody. It's like, this is all I wanted. Thank you. This is what I was looking for. Um, he actually knew it was a high storm when he walked out into oh, it. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, it wasn't, he was just like, what's all this water coming from the sky? But he mentions like, oh yeah, there's a high storm going, but it's fortified here. There's walls. Like the, the wind's not that bad. Like, I think it's, I think it's, uh, very likely that Dalinar has sheltered from a high storm in the open before, right? Yeah. Like the way that we learned the scouts did in book two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's just... I say oblivious, and I, I don't mean oblivious, but, like, to him, the danger does not compute because for him it's not dangerous. And Gavilar just laughs, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you just, like, basically proved the point I've been trying to make to this dude in only the way that you can. And, and it's it, it shows off everyone's strengths and why this trio of Gavilar, Sadius, and Dalinar are so powerful and so capable um, and they're joined by Navani and Eli, uh, Sadius's wife. Hey, can you, can you read, uh, can you read the descriptor paragraph when Dalinar sees Navani? Yes. Um, it says, Dalinar's breath caught. Navani's hair glowed with the tiny ruby she'd woven into it, a color matched by her pendant and bracelet. Her face, a sultry tan, her hair, a lethe jet black, her hair, a lethe jet black. Her red lips smile, so knowing and clever, and a figure, a figure to make a man weep for desire. His brother's wife. His brother's wife! Now it's... Now whose wife is she? Now it's Dalinar. He got what he wanted. Yeah. And so we get some really interesting, some interesting points of view because we've got, I'm going to say present day Dalinar, which is the Dalinar from The Way of Kings and, you know, Words of Radiance. So, like, our Dalinar. 
kind of being like the epitome of like class and hey we follow the codes and you know he's he's a general and he knows how to act and he knows what is expected of him and then you contrast it with like this guy who doesn't even know the sign of need which it feels like all light eyes should know um Mm -hmm. you know and he's just like like at one point he's like why are people so horrified that i'm eating with this knife i did wash it off and i'm not gonna drink the wine that has blood in it you know (laughs) like you know before the the knife that works shows up he's working with a little smaller knife uh from the master servants that's bent but uh he sees someone he does see someone and it ends up being i want to say toe's sister and she's yeah. blonde. Can you? Yes. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Like, like we just read the descriptor of Navani. Uh, can you read the paragraph descriptor uh, ending with the candle glow? So start with a woman peeking into the room. I'm trying to find it. Okay. A woman peeking into the room from the other feast hall. She wore a delicate, filmy dress of pale yellow matched by her blonde hair. He leaned forward, curious. Toe's sister Evie was 18, maybe 19. She was tall, almost as tall as an Alethi, and small of chest. In fact, there was a certain sense of flimsiness to her, as if she were somehow less real than an Alethi. The same went for her brother with his slender build, but that hair, it made her stand out like a candle's glow in a dark room. And I find it interesting that he is so besmitten, besotted, with Navani and it feels like Evie is like the polar opposite of Navani and uh-huh. I wonder if he did that because like if he married someone who looked like Navani I feel like people would have talked because I feel like the gossip around the court would have been anyway like it could have been Delinar and Navani it could have been and if he marries someone that looks very similar mm-hmm. to Navani that just would probably perpetuate the rumors a little bit too much and so, yeah, I think her looks had, ev- I th- want to say, everything to do with how he sees her. Of Feels just about like, her. Yeah, yeah, he's like, one, she's beautiful, so that doesn't hurt. But two, she's not an Aleti. She's, she's different. Yeah. She's not like other girls. So, here's the thing, though. <laughs> As he is looking her over, mm-hmm. she's she's caught his eye. Mm-hmm. Um, her, her dress is sleeveless, um, but she has a small sack like tied over a small pouch tied over her safe hand instead of like a safe sleeve. Navani says she kept trying to eat with her safe hand. Navani said, eyebrow cocked. <laughs> I think Navani marks that Dalinar is looking at her like this. Yeah. And is trying to like, and is show is him putting her down a little. Yeah. But here's yeah. the thing. Dalinar is not going to care about that. I think here Navani missteps. Because if he doesn't even remember the safe, you know, the the sign of need, if he's not like tuned in to the intricacies of court, the idea that she doesn't eat with her safe hand is going to sail right over his head. Not sail over his head. I mean, he probably knows enough, but but like you're sitting there with Navani and Eli who are not supposed to be sitting there. We know this from the feast. Uh, feast basin. Yeah, that men and women you know, eat separately. Eli is eating masculine food. Like, neither of these two women follow the rules anyway. And so 
So they're they're making fun of Evie for breaking convention mm-hmm. because she doesn't know any better. But the two of them can break convention because they're so smart. Yes. And I feel like this conversation between them, because they have this, and I want to get into it too, but this really interesting conversation about when should you stop trying to... Um, Marry your brother's wife. Well, that. Uh, when should you stop <laughs> trying to, like, win in a war? When should you stop trying to... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not decimate. When, uh, when do you stop trying to destroy the enemy Des- and sue for peace? Yes. Yes. And it's so interesting that they have this conversation. And then I think Kaladin has that conversation later as well in his chapter. But these people who are at the top of the food chain, per se... It it seems like they're they're like college kids sitting in on a philosophy class and like talking about stuff that they've never experienced. Even though Gavilar, Sadius, and Dalinar are in the thick of it, they are not going to Into feel the, the far reaching ramifications of a war or when is too much too much because they're so far removed. Like royalty is so far removed from the reality of it all. I feel like in this, in this thing, let me, what's one of their, hold on. Oh, they're talking about, um, they're talking about the Sunmaker and Gavilar's like, he united Alethkar. Why did he fail to create a lasting empire? His kids were too greedy, Dalinar said. There wasn't one of them that would agree to, there's not, there wasn't one of them that the others would agree to support. And then Navani jumps in and she's like, no, that's not it. They would have united if the Sunmaker himself had settled on the air. And then people are like, no, 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 no. It's for this other reason. And and Gavilar was like, no, it was his greed because like he he was out there conquering like like he was doing too much, you know. And it was such a fascinating read to see their attitude about it all and to see what they to see what each character thought the fault was in this like amazing person who had you know done what they were trying to do and so i think they're also trying to analyze the Sunmaker's mm-hmm. mistakes and failings so that they don't do that so that they don't run into those problems because they they are dreaming of glory of a united alethkar and there's still these um bright lords that are not what are the oh high princes there's still like four high princes that are like united against Dalinar, Sadius, and Gavilar. United we stand <laughs> against the Colins. They suck. <laughs> Gavilar stared with that distant, far-off look in his green eyes, a look that was becoming more and more common. Why are we at war, brother? This again, Dalinar said. Look, it's not so complicated. Can't you remember how it was back when we started? And, you know, Gavilar's like, no, remind me. Well, Dalinar said, wagging his bent knife, we looked at this place here, this kingdom, and we realized, hey, all these people have stuff. And we figured, hey, maybe we should have that stuff. So we took it. Like, that's what it boils down to. It's not like, oh, we're coming in to help these people or, oh, we're coming. It's like, no, we see something that we want and the best way to get it is to march in and break these people's spirits and take it. And I like the the talk in this where Gavilar's like, Dalinar, can't you think of the future? Can't you think of the finer things? Can't you think of this other stuff when it's Dalinar's like, I need a knife right now. I have to solve this problem right now. Mm-hmm. 
It's his going out into the storm that, like, impresses everyone. And it's his focus for a knife that lets him spot the assassin. Mm -hmm. So, like, you need a big picture person, but you also need a focused right here and now person. Yeah. And, Emily, I'd like to, I'd like to lean over to the Evie of it all. Okay. What do you think her first impression of watching Dalinar stab a man to death and then eat with the knife has left her feeling about her future husband? See, if she was an Alethi, I feel like she would be like, whoa, sign me up for the next war, you know, sort of a thing. But the way that they're describing her brother and her as being like very frail and very delicate, like... I'm sure to her it's just like, here is this barbarian that I'm expected to unite. Like, they're only putting us together so that they can get armor, the shard plate, to go out and win more wars. Like, I'm I'm thinking she's not feeling very uh, positive or optimistic about her future with him. Like, I'd be scared to death. I'm just like, he just killed a dude. Yeah, well, you're going to marry him, so suck it up. You know, like, ugh. So, yeah, we know what Evie looks like, but we don't know anything about her personality or anything like that. Because, if you recall, the last Dalinar chapter we had before this, all he remembered was her face. Mm-hmm. So And her name. We'll have to see if, if and her name. Uh, yeah, she's not anymore. <laughs> it's Evie. Hi, Which Evie. I was wondering how they were going to do flashbacks if we, as the reader, like, if Dalinar couldn't remember... Like, if we were, as the reader, we're just going to have to infer, like, stuff that was happening. But now we can see her face and, like, see what's going on. I like it. Yeah. We will get the information as that. De- so it's so interesting. So Kaladin's flashbacks were the memories that haunted him constantly. Mm-hmm. Right? This is, it was his driving force. It was why he was here. It was why he was so angry. Mm-hmm. Shalon's flashbacks was stuff she had purposefully forgotten or buried and she would get you know tripped into having these flashbacks Mm -hmm. and now dalinar it's very similar to shallan where he doesn't fully remember you know in his everyday life the stuff that's happened but something happened that triggered this flashback so listen well just we're just gonna have to keep going but Oh my, oh me, oh my. Oh, uh, before uh, we move on to the next one, I want to bring up, uh, I mentioned beforehand in the episode that I wanted to talk about how they viewed this assassin and how assassination, uh-huh. um, let's see, because, you know, Dalinar has killed the 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 would-be assassin. Um, let's see, Sadius cursed under his breath, our enemies grow desperate, cowardly, an assassin during a storm, and Alethi would be ashamed of such an action. And that brings up several points because you and I had had a conversation about whether or not what Adolin had done was the Alethi way when he murders Sadius. Um, and and I I don't want to I don't want to like take this out too far, but it it wasn't so much like Sadius obviously wasn't saying an assassin is not the Alethi way. It's an assassination during a storm, like like is it unsportsmanlike because the target is trapped and doesn't have a way to like get out and run away or i mean because his wife we know yeah has okay like you know what runs I the assassins in their camp what 
I think this is a hypocritical statement that, oh, oh, it's it's how dare an assassin try to kill us is what he's saying. Okay. Not that oh, assassination is wrong and bad. It's more like oh, someone trying to kill me is wrong and bad. But it's okay for my wife's assassins to kill other people. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> it's it's um, it's more of Navani and Eli breaking convention while mocking Evie for doing the same. Ooh, yeah. The hypocrisy of it all is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like you would think the Alethi are straightforward. Like. No, we we duel face to face, you know, we do all of these things, but the people higher up can skirt around those rules because they have the means and the ability to do it. Yep. Okay, let's get to the Kaladin chapter. Read me the epigraph. All right, this is 20. However, with a dangerous spice, you can be warned to taste lightly. I would that your lesson may not be as painful as my own. From Oathbringer Preface. Let's talk about Kaladin learning to see his world from someone else's point of view. Oh, and it's I it's so interesting that Brandon chose Kaladin to be the one to view this because all the time we've been reading this, Kaladin has been like at the bottom of the rung. Like he's a slave. He has, you know, brands that show him as being dangerous. He like he's a dark eyes. He's so we know he's experienced awful, terrible, horrible things. And I think while that gives him empathy for the the listeners that he's run into, he still can't comprehend what they've been through because he hasn't lived it. Like very much like mm-hmm. like Shalon slash Vale was saying. Um, but he he keeps trying to be like, no, I know exactly what this is like. And they're like, you don't. Like by the end of this conversation, um, one of Kaladin's captors is just like, no, these people like found out a way to basically rip out a piece of our soul and turn us into mindless drones. And guess what? You better believe they'll try again. Like now that they know it's yeah. possible, they will do this again. Um I think it was back in Shallan's chapter where like some of the dark eyes are are worried that they're going to be lowered even further to do the job that the Parshman used to do because now there's no more free quote unquote labor. There's no more slave labor. So who's going to take on that role? Like who's gonna still make us rich mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when we can't exploit anyone? Yeah. And and Brandon's not afraid to point out rather than like, oh, well, I wouldn't want to do this work. So why should I expect someone else to do the work? It's where are these people so they can come back and do the work that they're supposed to do? Yeah. Like, did it make me feel great? And, and, you know, Kaladin is trying to be like, well, I'm evolved. Yeah. I'm I'm a reasonable man. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, we, I know good light eyes. Maybe we can convince them that, 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 you know, now that you talk, now that you're like regular people, this is, he's, he's putting his foot in his mouth here. Yeah. Uh, they'll listen and they'll give you your freedom. Saw who he's speaking to is like, so 
basically when we were different from you we deserved to be enslaved but now that we're like you we deserve to be free like that's what you're saying here mm -hmm. and Kaladin like the the listeners are trying to work through okay okay Emily you mentioned they were missing a piece of their soul mm -hmm. and now they've been given a piece of something else with the storms to to attain this form um, and it's made them aware of what they've like lost over all of these years mm -hmm. and that it is heinous and it is monstrous that the human civilizations have used them like this and justified it because they were so different. Mm -hmm. There were in, in our own, in our own world and, um, there were lies told about the African-Americans who were enslaved. Um, constant lies told that they felt pain differently and that they felt emotions differently and that they weren't like us. They were different and therefore they deserved this. And I don't love drawing connections between this, you know, physical, magical people and like their enslavement and like the real world things. But there's a lot of parallels. I think Brandon is purposefully drawing between the American uh, slave trade mm -hmm. and how the Parshendi have been treated. Yeah. Um, and it's basically it's a horrible travesty, both in the real world and in this fictional world. And Kaladin is like, well... You know, the Irish people were enslaved by Americans, too. And it's like, that is so... The scale of what happened to European slaves and African slaves were so vastly different to be incomparable. Like, mm -hmm. just because they use the same word to describe what happened to these different groups of people doesn't make it the same at all. At all. And that's something that Saw is really trying to get through to Kaladin. And he's only just starting to register. And not only that, but as he recognizes that he's starting to feel sorrow and sympathy for what the listeners has gone through, that he's like, Sill, we have to leave because we're going to fight them more. Like the war is going to come back. And I can't learn to sympathize with the enemy like this if I'm going to keep killing them. Mm hmm Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I'm wondering if we're going to get a moment, like, you know, at the end of um, Way of Kings, when Dalinar trades his shard blade for all of the bridgemen who are supposedly yes. nothing, and that shocks Kaladin, and who else would have had the courage to make that choice? I wonder if Kaladin's going to come up on a on a choice similar to that. And how he would have made the decision. Because, like, even Kaladin was shocked that Dalinar gave up the shard blade to save all of these people. Like, you just, it's unheard of you don't do that. And does Kaladin, will Kaladin have the courage to stand up and really try and make a difference for these people? Or is he just going to keep, is he going to be determined to see them as the enemy? Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like... I'm a Radiant, and I have to fight the Voidbringers, so I can't learn to love the Voidbringers. Mm -hmm. I can't protect the people I'm going to have to kill. Yeah. And I'm like, Kaladin, open your eyes. <laughs> you, unite them! 
And it's what you were saying. When do we stop? Because, um, okay, so most of the, and I, I'm using the word listeners because I don't want to use Parshman anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the listeners were specifically the peoples who lived in Narok out on the plains who the Alethi were fighting against. And the Parshmen who are now transformed into storm form. Um, I don't think specifically they call themselves the listeners. I think that's something different, but I just, I don't want to call them parchment anymore. So I'm going to call them listeners. Mm -hmm. But we basically, between the final fight and the destruction of the Everstorm, the, the listener army was almost wiped out. Mm -hmm. And it's only because that the enslaved listeners um, have now, you know, like been made aware again that, you know, the, basically their numbers have been replenished. So it's, it's, it's reminding me of, oh yeah, we wiped out all of the great shells in this area of the world, but now we got to wipe out all the great shells in this area of the world to get what we want. So I'm like, (laughs) you don't have to fight, but it's so hard to convince people to lay their weapons down and say, it could be different. We don't have to have violence anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's it's not just, oh, we're fighting them because they look different from us. We will be sent to fight them because they represent an economic advantage to our upper class. Uh, we've got centuries of, you know, like lies and propaganda and cultural uh, prejudices telling us that like we have to fight them and also oh these are the legendary void bringers and as a radiant it's your responsibility to do this so like even though logically kaladin's like they aren't soldiers i don't want to fight them but the light eyes will make the soldiers fight and like soldiers will follow their light eyes orders their high lord's orders and i'm a radiant and i have and i've accepted my calling so i just have to do what a radiant does i guess Mm. so we'll have to see emily if someone will have the both strength of character and influence over their side to equivalent of give up a sword to stop uh, to stop the problem. Except, except when Dalinar gave his sword to Sadius, it didn't stop the problem. It saved these bridgemen, but Sadius just got new bridgemen. Yeah. The only person who successfully stopped anything is Yasna and the lesson. But you know what? I bet there's other criminals making crimes in... <laughs> and, yeah. And you know what? She didn't even stop the worst murderer in Karl Bronth. She stopped, like, these street murderers. And Teravangian has been killing hundreds of peasants and lower class people and light eyes. Teravangian has been killing hundreds of people. So do you know what? But she didn't know that. I think she if didn't she'd know known that. that, I think she would have gone and killed him. Yasna v. Teravangian cage match yes. fight. All right. That is the end of this week's reading. So let's look at the heralds. So who is the herald for 18? Double vision. Double vision. It's double heralds. It's Shalash for, you know, all of them. She's the patron of the Lightweavers. Mm-hmm. Shalon. Appropriate for her yep. chapter. Yeah. And ooh multiple shalashes because now there's multiple shalons (gasps) i'm kidding that doesn't hold true because the very like all of all three chapters this week are actually double heralds oh okay 
So who is doubled up on 19, the subtle art of diplomacy? Oh, it's the the female with the helmet. Chichenarach. Yeah. Nice. Yep. What is she, what and... is she in charge of? <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't ask me so I'm trying to remember and I couldn't. <laughs> Let me look it up. Ch Chenner. Did I put in enough Chechas? Ch Chenarach. No. I can't. <laughs> I tried to Google Ch Chenarach. <laughs> And it's like, do you mean cha-cha chicken, <laughs> a Caribbean chicken restaurant <laughs> that's 30 miles from you? Okay. Harold's Stormlight. Yep. It looks like it looks like her name is just Chanarach. Oh! No and we've been saying it wrong for three books. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's not, and her her attributes are being brave and obedient. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just chatterach or just chach. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Oh well, she's one of the she's one of the paintings in the next in the the rhythm of war end pages. Yes, yes. Um. Okay, and then who is the last? Who is the last one? The last one is, I believe, it's Vedaletive. You are correct. It's Vev. <laughs> Vev. And she is. Her attributes are about loving and healing, which is what Kaladin's gonna have to do with the with the listeners. Gonna have to love and heal. Yep. All right. Uh, next week. We are going to be reading chapter 21, Set Up to Fail, chapter 22, The Darkness Within, and chapter 23, Storming Strange. All right. <laughs> what song? Thanks for coming, everyone. What song? Though we have a what song. song. I thought of a song, <laughs> and it's a good one, too. All right. What's the best? I I, I want to do. Remember that CD we had? I think we got it from Dilly of like Irish style. No, we got it from Aradalin, Uh Irish style pub music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you think of any of those songs? Wasn't there one about cider? There's one. There's a Gaelic storm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Johnny Jump Up. Yes. All right. Let me make sure it is Gaelic storm that does that. Yeah, Johnny Jump Up by Gaelic Storm. To to celebrate Shalon's drinking. <laughs> so that is the song of the week. Johnny Jump Up by Gaelic Storm. <laughs> nice. uh, have it. Drink yourself some wine and listen <laughs> to this song. <laughs> okay, everyone. Um, I've had a great time. My name is Megan and I have got to get back to picking up. My name is Emily and I got to get back to writing my book. But do you want to talk about the Patreon first and, and a thank you to Michael B. and Cardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm? Uh, yeah. Um, join our Patreon. Three bucks, you get in the Discord. Eight bucks, you get more. And 12 bucks, you get them. Emily, what are the levels? 
<laughs> All right, so the $3 level is we believe in you, uh, and you can get into the Discord. We talked about a little bit about that at the beginning of our episode. The next level is a $7 level, and that is the friend of the pod where you're going to get your episodes early. Instead of episodes coming out on Thursdays, your episodes will come out on Mondays. And then tier number three is the honorary sibling, the $12 level, where Meg and I will do a monthly Zoom call. We're going to either play video games or make a recipe or just we're going to do something different every month. Uh, there is also going to be a special Patreon only feed and we're doing the Marvel MCU, both uh, movies and TV. And so that is what you will get at $12 and only you will get that at $12. So um, yeah, only you. <laughs> so the first patron who signs up for $12. There's only one them, right? space available. <laughs> You each get one episode and you'll have to like <laughs> cobble together. No, 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 no. Okay. So $3 Discord, $7 early episode, and $12 secret feed. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And special thanks to Michael B. and Cardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, which we use as the opener and closer for all of our podcasts. Uh, join us next Thursday for... Will we be done with Roswell by we're at this point? No. No, we'll be very we're still close. Doing Roswell, we'll be very probably. close. We'll be very close to finishing Roswell. And then join with us uh, every Tuesday coming up for our miscellaneous feed. Uh, right now we're blasting through one to watch. And when that is done, we will start posting The Guest, a Korean horror drama. Uh, Emily. What? Emily. What? I know we were going to do like Mob Psycho next, but I feel... With our flag season two coming up. We could do that we one. strike while the pirates are hot. That yeah. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> That's the plan. All right. Listeners, I love you. And Emily, I love you I too. I love you, you back. Else? Do you know what else? What? I believe. I believe in you. Ready. Ready. Break. Break.